Leopold. Everybody and happy new year! The Nightfly with Dave Joskow continues into 2019, our final season. I'm kidding. <laughs> or am I? I don't know. What year is this? Our fourth year? Something like that, right? 200 episodes, uh, 52 weeks a year. Uh, four years, right? I don't know. Something like that. We've been doing it a long time, having a good time, doing everything by the book. No, actually going book off the grid thinking of new things and new ways to bring you fun and good times in the year 2019 Dave Jones got with you on a chilly Saturday morning here recording the first podcast of the year I was waiting to record as you know I usually record on the weekdays but this time I recorded on Saturday morning because and I'll tell you something I got up early to record the podcast so I can get shit done today I am going to be productive today, something I don't normally do or haven't at least done for the last three weeks as I've been sitting wallowing in filth as I often do between Christmas and New Year's because for some reason I take vacation days, which I, I, I don't, why, you know, for what purpose would I do that for? 
I don't know. Also, using the new microphone, giving it one more try. My last podcast, I was uh, it was horrible, and it, and it just didn't. I could, you know, I heard it back, and it was bad. And uh, because of the, the the sound of the new mic, and um, you know, I got your comments, and thank you. And I, I didn't realize until later, you know, because I couldn't hear it. But I bought this special attachment that now I should be hearing what you're hearing. And I'm still going to use the microphone for my guests, but, um, you know, for me, I was just giving it this try. I still, I think I like the old school, just talking into the mic old school. But this certainly is convenient, but uh, I don't know. And hopefully it's working. I mean, it sounds perfect. It's going right through the thing I record on, and everything sounds fine. So I believe with all my heart that this sounds crystal clear the way Dave Juskow and the Nightfly and you at home have come to respect and understand over the years of our togetherness. Well, I hope everybody had a uh, lovely New Year's. Um, I actually finally, you know, after many years of uh, horribleness, had a pretty good New Year's. It was not the worst New Year's I've ever had. I actually had a really good time, but I will tell you. So the last, uh, first of all, let me just uh, also say, um, just came out yesterday, big new show at the Comedy Cellar, February 19th here in New York City, the new Dave Juskow Oscar show. I'm not sure what I'm going to call it yet. See, I'm trying to come up with themes, so I wanted to do a Super Bowl theme show, but the January dates were already taken. You obviously can't do one after the Super Bowl. It can only be before because you want to get excited about it. So I'm doing this gay Oscars one, but, you know, it's just to for the hair fund. Um, but a theme is nice, and the Oscar one seemed obvious because, uh, well, you know, in between I can do my movie stuff that I usually do with reading from the script. So, you know, and then I get in the comics. So I, I don't see how it can go wrong, and then we'll see if we can really, you know, the third time would be the charm if we can really actually, you know, if if if, if these things actually just sell out all the time or if um, there were two flukes. But uh, that's the plan, just to let you know, February 19th, the brand new show at the Comedy Cellar, Tuesday, February 19th. Now, there's just so much stuff to say. Um, I guess I'll just take it from the top, or actually, I'm taking it from the middle. Let me tell you what happened, and this is fascinating. Um, As you know, the last time we left, my plan was to uh, meet my uh, very good pal and Eagle Scout, uh, Rich Duffy, uh, <laughs> um, a very close friend for many, many years from elementary school meeting. Uh, you know, when his school from uh, the other side of the tracks transferred over to our school, which, of course, we were having none of at the time. Oh, Mateo just texted me. I forgot to turn on my airplane mode. I don't want to be distracted. Um, sorry about that. Anyway, um so yes, his uh, school merged with ours. You know, they were the poor kids. Uh, you know, for and we were all like protesting and stuff. But it turned out, uh, you know, they turned out to be okay. So, uh, <laughs> so we met in fourth grade. Anyway, he moved uh, to Sacramento, and um, you know, had mentioned as I mentioned in the podcast that Rachel Feinstein was playing at the Punchline in San Francisco. I said I'd never been there before. I said that's an interesting thing to do, but it's a President's Day weekend. Not a big deal. I said, you know what? Look at me planning a couple trips because. Next weekend, I'm going to Orlando uh, to see my friend Katie and my sister, and the kids are going to uh, Disney World. So I thought, again, when I plan a trip, I like to hit two birds with one stone or more than two birds with one stone. Now, there is a girl that I used to date 
who I liked very much. Not so much her personality, but she was very pretty. My kind of pretty. You know, the kind of pretty I like. Blonde, blue eyes. Um, I don't know. She was perfect for me. Uh, but she was very, she was a little snobby. But, uh, you know, that was fun too. But, uh, so we used to go out and then she had a nervous breakdown uh, in L.A. She was working for, uh, you know, the, the the motion picture business. And she had a nervous breakdown and uh, then she moved out of the city. I met her once uh, with her mom at her house. And we hung out a little bit. And I think I told you about this. Uh, you know, fooled around. And then she was like yelling stuff to her mother while we were fooling around. It was very awkward, very odd. But then she left L.A. and moved back home to where she was from, from to Oakland. Now, if you're from anywhere else, you know, I mean, it's like if I lived in... Uh, I don't know, North Carolina, North Carolina, I do have it on my mind. I got a lovely card from uh, a, a listener, Sandra, uh, and, and thank you so much. A lovely Christmas card uh, saying wonderful things about the podcast, and uh, thank you so much. So I was thinking of North Carolina, and um, if you're from North Carolina and you've never been to New York City before, and, you know, you hear, uh, you know, stuff like uh, murders, all this kind of stuff, you know, if you don't know how it works here, I would be terrified. And so when I hear stuff about the Bronx, because I know nothing about the Bronx, I go to every borough, go to Queens, I go to Brooklyn, I go to Staten Island, and I feel safe there, mostly because I've just been there my whole life and I know how it works. And certainly it goes, it's a block-to-block, you know, thing uh, of where one block can be good. Remember that time I told you I went to West Orange with Jessica Pilot, And really, wow, what a slum, disgusting place. And then really... Truly, not even a metaphor on the other side of the tracks, gorgeous New Jersey property where I think Whitney Houston used to live and shit. So that's the way, when I hear about the Bronx, you just hear murder, 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 old trouble in the Bronx. I know nothing about the Bronx, so when I hear people live there, I'm like, are you crazy? So when I hear she's moving to Oakland, I mean, you, you guys, I've never been there before. I'm like, oh my God, that sounds dangerous. I'm thinking of the Oakland Raiders. I'm thinking about how... You know, their whole fan base is terrifying because, you know, it's probably the way people feel about Yankee Stadium, you know, like because it's in the Bronx. And it is not in a great section of the Bronx, Yankee Stadium. So I've never wanted to go there. I feel much more comfortable in Flushing where the Mets play. And that city field is lovely. Just wish the team was a little bit better. But so this girl, Valeska, moved to Oakland, California, and uh, I haven't seen her since. But we would talk on occasion and have nice calls. And she became a life coach, which to me always means trouble. That means someone's insane. Uh, Anyone that is a life coach is crazy because, you know, who are you to coach somebody else that you think you're so great? This girl's got a lot of problems. So what is she doing coaching anybody? But whatever, you know, it still doesn't matter. I still liked her and I still um, enjoyed talking to her on the phone and I wanted to see her. So every time I would ever think about going, I'm like, you know, maybe I should call Valeska. Maybe I'll go to San Francisco. I've never been there. I got a lot of friends that play in the punchline. Here's the perfect opportunity. So it's kind of, so I'm making plans. This is over the holidays. This just happened. I'm making plans to go to San Francisco. Uh, and I'm like looking at hotels and I'm like, well, let me see where Valeska lives in relation to where I'm getting a hotel. I don't know why, you know, it's just the way you do it. Like I'm not sleeping with my friend Katie when I go to Orlando, but I'm looking at hotels that are next to her house. Um, 
But I mean, if that were to happen, anyway. Um, so I'm looking up stuff online, and I put her name. I mean, I know where she lives and everything, but I put her name in, and it says Valeska Ramey Obituaries. And you know how when you look up somebody online and it says obituaries, you always know, you know, it's like somebody older, it's their grandmother, grandpa, or somebody else saying, well, no, it wasn't, it was her, she's dead. And died like a week before I looked this up, like freshly dead. And I was like, what? What? I wonder if my neighbors heard me, my computer's kind of near my door, I wonder if they heard me, if they were out in the hallway, they would have heard me like going like, What? What? I mean, it's crazy. Crazy. Um, She's dead. So on the funeral home, they have the listing and they have the obituary and all the stuff, but they don't say how. So, of course, the first thing that comes to my mind, oh, my God, that's the fourth old girlfriend I've been out with that committed suicide. Oh, my God. (laughs) The fourth no one has that many girls commit suicide unless you're up to something suspicious. I mean, that's very, very odd. And, you know, obviously I called Sarah and I called Rachel and I'm like, you're not going to believe this. You are not. He called my sister. You know, all the people that have always, you know, used are like, hey, just because I had three girl, old girlfriends commit suicide. You know, I mean, it's funny. As long as they took their own life and, you know, except for the one that was possibly murdered. Anyway, so I, I don't know what the story is. And... um I want more information, so I'm trying to get in touch with her mom. I don't know how, but it turns out uh, my friend Rich is used to be a private investigator. uh, Got the mom's number for me. I mean, is this guy good or what? So he got the number for me, and I gave her a call, and I was, you know, very responsive. wasn't positive it was her number, and I just was like, hi, uh, you don't know me, uh, but we met a couple times, and... um, you know, is your daughter dead? Hello? I mean, you know, you know what do you, what, it's like the most awkward of all calls that there is. I heard the distortion that time. Um, but the most awkward of all calls that there is, uh, you know, when you're not sure you have the right number and you're asking if their daughter is dead. I mean, that's really bad news. Uh, anyway, it was her because on New Year's Eve, for some reason, calling on New Year's Eve, and she even said, like, I don't know why I'm calling on New Year's Eve. You live in New York City. Um, but, uh, yes, it is me, and I'd like to talk to you and, you know, call me when you can. So I called her the next day, and I got the info. She did not commit suicide. So that's good news. Well, is it, though? Maybe sometimes it's better if they commit suicide because at least it's more like they want it out. But this one is a tragedy. Um Apparently, a couple years ago, which I didn't know, I can't remember whether she told me or not because I never even knew whether to believe her or not. Um, she fell down a flight of stairs by her house, wherever she lived. For some reason, I pictured her living on like a like a tall. I guess when I'm picturing her in San Francisco, I'm picturing like that. Like that, I'm picturing like the full house house, and where they have to come down a stoop, you know, to get to their house or go up a stoop to get into the house. So I think she fell down one of those staircases and kind of broke open her head and had to be stapled up. So it was pretty bad. Broke a hip, uh, you know, punctured a lung, lots of bad trouble. And so she was dealing with that and not normal again, I guess, for, you know, a couple years. And then in September, this is her mom telling me this, she goes, and then in September a curtain rod fell on her head. And then I just started laughing because, 
I mean, that's, you know, that's when somebody really has bad luck or, you know, it's like Final Destination shit, you know, like, I'm like, oh my God, your daughter's very unlucky. I mean, and then a curtain rod fell on her head and that would then reopen the wound. I mean, a curtain rod, I mean, that's really Final Destination shit. Like that fall was supposed to be it, you know, of those kind of movies, but she needed to go, you know, she's, she needs to be replaced by somebody new. I mean, right? I mean, what is... What's God trying to tell you then if uh, you get hit by a, a, a random curtain rod in your own home and it reopened and then a couple months later uh, her dad found her on the couch dead, <clears throat> which is horrible. I mean, that's that's not funny at all. Can you imagine? And then I heard that the father, this is the second daughter he had to bury like from a previous marriage. And then I'm then I'm then all I'm thinking is that shows sharp objects, little Munchausen disease, you know, which I think is a woman's thing, but I mean, that's, uh, you know, that it's suspicious. It's like having three girls that commit suicide and then, you know, then the father has to wait a minute. What? what? But no, it's of course tragic and uh, uh, it's just so weird. And so to kind of the lackluster for going to, cause to San Francisco because then I'm hitting, you know, like I'm seeing Rachel, I'm seeing Rich, and then I'm seeing her. You know, it's like multiple things. Then the plan was I was going to go to L.A. for a couple days. I was going to drive down to L.A. and then drive to Vegas to the Cellar Club. I mean, I had a plan. <clears throat> Only missing three days of work, which would have been brilliant. But um, I was in the shower the other day, and I was thinking – you know, theme shows would be the way to keep doing these kind of stand-up shows. <clears throat> Sorry about that. These kind of stand-up shows, um, you know, with themes like Christmas or birthday. So what's the next theme? The Super Bowl is the one, and then the Oscars was... I, I, when, I, uh, when I was out on Wednesday, it came to me. I'm like, oh, my God, an Oscars one would be perfect. Now I'm rethinking how gay it is, but you know, really, you know, <laughs> who cares? Uh, but I just want to be able to do a show and 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 you know do have something to do uh, that's creative and so I think I'm not going to go to San Francisco and um, yeah because uh, this is a better deal I'm saving money and I'm making money and that's what I need to do for the hair fund unfortunately who am I to be going on all these trips all of a sudden uh, when I just spent fifteen thousand dollars on hair. So this is a better plan. I still would like to go to San Francisco. I mean, maybe I'll go again in March for some. Well, no, then there's really no reason to go. Well, if I have another friend that's playing at the punchline soon, then I'll go. Rachel would be the perfect person. But, um, you know, I mean, I still could go because it, you know, works. You know, I don't need to do anything before. It's not like, you know, the Godfather we're doing with the scripts or anything. But I'm not going to go. I'm sorry, Rich. I know. I got to see you, but I'll work it out. I promise. I was looking at the schedule to see who else is there, but I didn't recognize anybody's or people that I would want to go and spend time with. I'll probably have to wait till Latell goes. And he usually goes once a year. Um, and that's the other thing that happened while we were away. Attell always plays at Caroline's between Christmas and New Year's. So I always go to see him once. My friend Bob said, do you want to see him on Sunday? And I'm thinking to myself, because I'm such a goddamn degenerate, how can I go on Sunday? That's the last uh, season of football, The you know, the end of the season, and they're going to have this game on Sunday night, and it ends the football pool. And, you know, this is in my head like a fucking moron. 
and uh, it ruins my life, and that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, all right, so I'll go a different night. So this is all, I'm just telling you everything that was happening over the uh, time we've been off. So so I'm like, so like I get home, that, that Friday, I'm, I'm, I'm mixing it up, but the Friday I finished work, which was like the 21st, I think, now, remember this new COO. I'm all over the place, and I'm sorry if I'm going all over the place, but we had this new COO at the office who became my friend and everything, and I told you she was leaving. She's the one that got me promoted. So I finally got an office, and then I found out that the delay from getting the office after getting the promotion was because the managing partner saw me coming out of the conference room fixing my pants with the receptionist. Um and uh, that apparently did cause some sort of issues. <laughs> so, <laughs> come on. There's nothing funnier than that. No, what you see, <clears throat> what you're seeing is, what what you think you're seeing is different from, you know, what's actually happening. Because, you know, if you think about it. Um, so, anyway, uh, now I got an office. My first office at the ripe old age of 54. It's really funny. It's really funny. I'm in office. It's hot in there, though, so it's bothering me mentally, knowing it's hot. But they're trying everything. They're getting some, like, you know, form of air cooler, and I've bought some stuff online and stuff. I bought this brand-new keyboard that has color-coded Photoshopping keys. I keep buying stuff from my office on Amazon. It's been exciting. Um, take a sip. And because i got the microphone here, it's hard. Anyway, so the COO left, and she was cool, right? So she leaves this uh, email for everybody, and she calls the managing partner quirky in the email. She goes, oh, I love everybody. I'll miss everybody. The quirky managing partner. This guy, he was so angry. It was great. I saw the email. He had it removed from everybody's computer. It was classic. She told it like it was, and he was having none of it. <laughs> as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, this is good. She said it like it is. Oh, he didn't like that. Which is funny because... um. He is quirky. Listen, hello, you just promoted Dave Juskow to have his own office. Quirky is a polite word. You're obviously out of your goddamn mind. But I am good at my job. Oh, and let me tell you something, the government shutdown, well, how does that affect Dave Juskow? Well, Dave Juskow does filings for the SEC. So Dave Juskow is now affected by the government shutdown. So I keep getting questions while I'm away at home on vacation. Like, hey, can we still do fun? The government shutdown? I'm like, I don't know. Well, this is kind of interesting, I guess. So it turns out the SEC has funding stocked away for just such an emergency of a government shutdown. So on Christmas Eve, they decided to shut down since many people aren't working, even though it's a work business day, and they said, we'll shut down on Christmas Eve so we can save some money. This is, this is our fucking economy government. Can you imagine this? The SEC, which regulates all the shit, which fucked up the Bernie Madoff thing and all that kind of crap, these fucking idiots, decide they got to shut down for one day to save money so they can last outlast this government shutdown. They're good for a couple of weeks. If the government shutdown continues, nobody will able be able to do their filings with the SEC by, well, possibly even Monday. Uh, this comes out on Tuesday, maybe by today. Who knows? I mean, it's really messed up. Um, 
you know, technically, you know, we don't know how it affects anything, but, and I don't care. I'm not rich. I'm not doing any filing. I just, this is my job. But, uh, yeah, interesting. I like when uh, some uh, you know, the top news story affects Dave Juskow. Who doesn't like that kind of stuff? So, where the hell was I? Uh, <laughs> I'm all over the place. So, um, anyway, I'll just skip to. So I'm. So she, you know, I leave, and then I'm. I go out that Friday. So listen to this. So yeah, right. So now, that Friday, I stayed late to do work for the managing partner, and I didn't care. I had nowhere to go that Friday, and I was starting a vacation. And my friend Caitlin at work, who's, you know, 23, the good, we call her the new and improved Caitlin, uh, she lives in the financial district, and she's like, why don't you come and meet me for drinks? And I'm like, I'll tell you what, if I can get one of these newfangled electric city bikes, I'll ride down there. Because now I'm obsessed with the electric city bikes. Oh, my God, are they great. Because now hills are not a difference. Let me tell you something. Fucking, the city sucks. It's very hilly. And you don't realize it until you're on a bike. And when I go home from the cellar and I go up First Avenue, there's like a bunch of hills. Like the whole, once you pass 34th Street, it's all uphill. It's weird. You don't realize it when you're in a car. You don't even realize it when you're walking. It's all up a hill. So this new electric bike that's, you know, half pedaling, but it picks up the slack. Oh, my God, it's terrific. And I love it. And it's cutting half times off everywhere I go because you're really going on a nice clip. And they invented them because the L train, which is one of the subway trains here in the city. I don't know if you've heard about this if you don't live here. But they have this train that goes into Williamsburg, you know, which is a brand new, well, the past like 15 years of like the hot section of Brooklyn that used to be a dump. And now that is the one train that connects this fancy schmancy now Williamsburg with Manhattan. And it's a very short trip and a really good deal for people working. But they're shutting it down because of Hurricane Sandy for 15 months. People have already sold their businesses. They've sold their homes because it's going to be a shit show. Nobody can get into Manhattan with this easy act. You got to take a bus and there's traffic. You know, that's where the subways are really, really convenient. Obviously, going underground, which is, uh, you know, Elon Musk's plan. Um so they built these electric city. They're trying everything, uh, scooters, you know, electric city bikes. So they have like 200 of them. They don't have enough. And people love them. So that is another way to get to work. Um, and they're hard to find. So anyway, it turns out as of yesterday, Governor Cuomo just said he's not going to shut it down. So the people that have sold their business and all that stuff are furious. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, we found another plan. He's like, you couldn't think about this years ago, you fucking idiot. He even talked to Elon Musk about stuff, and uh, apparently these engineers that he's using are morons. It's really weird, but now they're talking about not shutting it down. And so I just still hope they're going to make more electric bikes because they're great. Anyway, that day I found an electronic bike, and I went down to the Wall Street area, and I when I was going down Fifth Avenue, this is what I was thinking. I can't believe... This is how old I am, and I guess this is when it starts. But when I was writing down, I was thinking to myself, I can't believe I am um, that I lived long enough to see this. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking now, that I lived long enough to have an electric bike. I mean, oh, my God, if those things were around in the 80s, 
when I would leave Catch a Rising Star at 2 in the morning, not want to transfer a train because I had to go to work the next morning. You know, I'd have to take the 6 and go to the end when I lived in Astoria. So I would walk home over the Queensboro Bridge at 3 in the morning. Oh, my God, it took forever. But it was better than waiting for the subway. If they had these, even just the regular bikes, but the electronic bikes back then, that would have changed my whole life around. That would have made things so convenient, let alone the the kind of fun that it is to ride. I'm like re-enjoying the city bike because it's just not a lot of work and it's it's really terrific. So then when I was down there with her, you know, I left so obsessed with going home again on the city bike all the way from Wall Street. I mean, that's a big ride that I took a regular bike to find an electric bike. Was That's when, you know, it gets really pathetic, but... You know, I was drunk and I was going through like Chinatown and everything, like huffing and puffing because I knew it was not, I wasn't, I wouldn't be huffing and puffing when I got to the electric bike. It'll all work out. And uh, I can't even believe I did that, but I, I don't care. Those electric bikes are great. So anyway, then that started my vacation. Now, after that day, I pretty much never left the house again until a week later. That Saturday, I went to Wolfgang's with my friend Lee and Laura, you know, my uh, my friend Lee and Laura, the wife, husband and wife, because we do that like three or four times a year. And uh, as we're finishing, lo and behold, Jim Norton comes in with his uh, porn star girlfriend, and they sit like right next to us <laughs> to make him feel more uncomfortable. But it was great to see him. But he was furious when I saw him on New Year's because they wouldn't they the kitchen closed for dessert and you know we get furious when they don't have that ice cream sundae available afterwards because even this time we said we're looking forward to the ice cream sundae after to make sure that there are no issues because we might have just walked right out of there or at least then we don't get excited for it something like that so really after that day i mean they came over and that's down the street i never left the house i i never left the house it was bad I didn't leave on Sunday for sure because I was watching football or whatever I was doing. Football, stupid, gambling again. And then I definitely didn't leave on Monday. I didn't leave on Tuesday. I didn't leave on Wednesday. I mean, it was horrible. Well, right, because Monday was Christmas Eve. Tuesday was Christmas Day. It's very depressing being a Hebrew or myself. I don't know whether it's just me or being a Hebrew on those holidays because I, you know, my sister married a a Catholic guy so and her kids are half and half so they actually celebrate I I don't feel welcome anywhere now of course I could go over there I feel welcome like they would invite me but I don't know it's weird plus it's very difficult to just leave the house so yeah it's just it's it's uh very depressing and the the worst part is and this is why you know I mean and certainly there's documented things of how uh you know, people, you know, get very depressed during the holidays. Why do they get depressed? I'll tell you why they get depressed. You're watching TV. You watch any Lifetime or a Hallmark or Netflix Christmas specials, and everyone's supposed to be with family. Family, family, family. If you don't have a family, you you, you get depressed. You, you like Now, I mean, I have a family, but it's weird from where other people seem to have larger families or they travel to see the family. I don't know. It's weird. But I feel like I don't have a family. I mean, I, we know I got my mother and I got my sister and her kids. But remember I told you on Thanksgiving, still wasn't feeling comfortable, you know, being there or whatever. So I feel like I don't have a family, you know. It's like weird. And then you get depressed and, 
you know, yeah, I get it. You know, that's why the holidays are depressing. There's not one TV show that doesn't stress how important family is when, uh, you know, it's not to me. So there's nothing to do. But thank God I got this video game, Just Cause 3, and Just Cause 4 just came out. So I was really able to play the Xbox. I mean, again, again, when I think of myself, 1988 Dave Juskow, who was so lonely. I've been lonely and alone my whole life. Now, I know it seems like, you know, on the outside, we've talked about this before. I have so many friends and so many activities, but it's it's all kind of a lie because I've been a loner my whole life. I mean, I can picture being nine and just being summer watching TV alone, 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 always alone. And it's just, yeah, and it's just like nothing changes in my head. In 1988, I would just sit at home in this horrible apartment in Queens. And remember, there was nothing to do. And there, at least with the internet, you feel connected. People can text. There's the Instagrams, and you know, uh, you know, and then and then wonderful video games that are amazing, time killers, and and amazing TV, and being able to watch any movie or listen to any music you want. Those are big game changers that just didn't happen in 1988, where I really feel like almost. Like the, on my small TV, only able to watch Full House, you know, at 8 o'clock on Fridays. And then, you know, you don't have your pick of anything. God, I, we're living in such a glorified age. It's fantastic for somebody like me who worships TV and that kind of stuff. So that's the one thing that's so easy to get through. There are, you know, I could watch any movie I want at home. And and play any video game, and it's and it and the video games are so good, you know. When I think about that, I you know might have had a pong machine or whatever. I mean, it's so that has been really easy to not have to look for a significant other because now it's much easier to be alone. You don't feel disconnected because you can also see what people are doing on Instagram, whether that makes you feel good or bad. You know, and everybody always looks like they're having a great time. Uh, you know, you're connected. And if I see that they were somewhere, I'm like, I mean, I could go out. I could call that person. I choose not to. So I just never left. I mean, maybe I got up and got a cup of coffee, but that's it. You know, I was patting myself on the back for that. But, uh, yeah, no, it's bad, you know, at those times of the year. But, I, you know, I really told myself I wasn't going to get depressed. I wasn't depressed, depressed as I have been in the past. It wasn't that horrible so my big plan was that on thursday i was going to go see rhoda my mother and uh that's how i'm going to get out of the house i mean that's my can you imagine this is what i'm thinking on sunday i'm like well thursday i'm going i mean this is ridiculous this is no way to live the whole time i'm like well maybe i could get up and do so but it was christmas there's nothing to do christmas eve christmas day it was the Wednesday after I kind of, I don't know, there was work-related issues because now that I'm the manager, you know, I can't really take time. I got to, like, uh, whatever. Maybe we want to talk about it. So so that Thursday I left and I went to New Jersey. Turns out my mother had, like, the flu or something. So then it's not even, we like, the one thing I look forward to see my mother is we're going to go to this diner in her neighborhood, which I, you know I love diners. And I'm like, well, that'll be fun. And, uh... Anyway, was that the Friday before the Friday? Okay, wait, wait I'm thinking of something. Because one of those days, oh, maybe that was uh, last Saturday, yeah. 
I uh, whatever. Anyway, so I go to Rhoda's house and she's got the flu. So I'm like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, the one thing I was looking forward to, I'm not even going to do. She never even offers me any food or anything. Now, I know she's sick, so I don't want to be a dick. However, you know, she's, I mean, I know that's not what she does. I'm just saying. It's like, <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's like, oh, I feel bad. Do you still want me to cook something? That's what, you know, usually a, a mother or a grandmother on their dying deathbed, they'll be like, you want me to cook something? And you say, no, no, no. But I hadn't had any, any lunch or anything, so. You know, she was like, can you go to the supermarket and pick me up some bananas or something? I'm like, sure. So then I, so this this is why it's funny. I text her next door neighbor, uh, Marilyn, who's in the football pool and everything. And, you know, I always uh, text her and Aunt Judy when I'm there to see if they need anything. So I text her and, and Marilyn answers, oh my God, yes, my grandkids are coming over and I need food immediately. Why isn't my mom like that? She said, here's what I need. She gave me a huge long list. It was hilarious. Um, and because I, I, I had time to kill. Like, what did I care? You know, and, and she, but, but she was like, yeah, my grandkids are coming over. Uh, thank you so much because, oh, my God, I don't have any food. You know, like, I, I mean, why isn't my mother like that when she hears her grandkids are coming over? That's <laughs> you know, so like, ah. So, uh. I bought her her groceries, and then I went back with mom, and then, you know, she was just sad and depressed because she was sick, and she didn't want me to leave, so I stayed longer, and I had a party to go to up by Beth's, one of her neighbors who I like a lot, this girl who always comes to my shows and stuff, and um, so I stayed longer, and then mom, my mother was like, you know, it would be really nice if, you know, Dory could come stay with me, and, you know, she's giving us the guilt trip again. She, nobody, first of all, I get nobody wants to be alone when they're sick. It's the worst being alone when you're sick. I think about it all the time, how I wish my mother was here when I'm sick. And I go home and I just, you know, go right to bed and take some medicine. There's nothing worse than being, that's when you want to be married and have kids or whatever. When you're sick, it's it's the absolute worst. So I get it. But she's like, it would be nice if Dory could come. And I'm like, well, let me give him a call. And and, and my sister was like, no, they're going to do this. I don't ask them for anything. I'm going to make them. So she goes, Liza said yes immediately, and Doria's like, well, if I have to. Liza's really good to Rhoda. I don't know what her deal is. I still feel she's up to something, but she seems to like Grammy, although Grammy, like, Beth is having her send money sometimes, so maybe it has something to do with that, but I don't know. You know, it's fishy when a granddaughter's like, yeah, absolutely. So then I told my mother, I'm like, hey, Dory and Liza are coming. She goes, I don't want both of them. <laughs> Can you imagine this woman? What? Both of them? What am I supposed to do with both of them? The selfishness, the, the craziness of this woman. It's it's out of control. I, I don't understand her, what her deal is. Anyway, I wait for them to come over. It's like 8 o'clock now. The party started at 7, but I didn't want to leave her alone. They come over, and then I hadn't seen Liza. I just want to spend some time with the girls. And meanwhile, of course, she never mentioned, can I get you guys anything? Can we order a pizza? Now her grandkids are doing something nice. This is the worst grandmother of all time, especially at least in Jewish and Italian folklore. Horrible. On the deathbed, an Italian, you know, uh, Martin Scorsese's mom would never let those guys, as they, you know, are bringing that body over to the upstate, she would never let them go hungry. No, I couldn't, you know, I heard him come in. I, 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 you know, sit down, I'll get you something to eat. Um. So I don't I don't even know what they did, but I had to leave, and they were very kind to stay. And I went to the party, and I got drunk and had a really good time. 
and she has a different crop of friends than my sisters that are a lot more fun. Uh, so it was a good time. And then I stayed over because I was drunk, which was a smart move, you know, after I stopped at Taco Bell um, and just got silly. So I stayed over at their house, and I guess I must have been really out of it because I stayed for like a long time just like resting. I guess um, getting loaded has been taking its toll lately as I get older. It used to be pretty good by noon. Now it takes until the next day, maybe. <laughs> um, and so then I went... I went out to lunch with Liza. We went to a diner. And then I went back home. And I probably got home around 6.30. Parked the car in the garage. And then was by the cellar. And I'm like, should I just go to the show now to see a tell? And I'm like, And then I talked to Rachel. And she goes, no, let's go Saturday. And I'm like, all right, perfect. Then I can go home. Meanwhile, as soon as I get home, Jeff Ross goes, hey, I'm going to the cell. I'm going, I'm sorry, not cell, the Caroline's uh, to see Dave, why don't you come? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm going tomorrow with Rachel. So Saturday comes, and then Rachel's like, I don't want to go. Uh, why don't you come here? And, you know, we can have, why don't you come to Brooklyn and we can have dinner? You know, me and my husband. And you can have dinner here. And I'm like, you know what? I'll come to Brooklyn. I didn't want to go to the cellar anyway, you know, it's, uh, I just, I wanted to see Dave, you know, show support, but then he, he doesn't care. And I had texted him the Wednesday before he started his little residency there saying, what's a good day for me to go? And he never texted back. And I'm like, you know what? He's already annoyed. So I go out to dinner with Rachel and her husband and I take a, an Uber out there and it was cheap. I was looking for the electric bike, but they didn't have it. And I wanted to get over there sooner than later. And I'll tell you, they live in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. And we walked to a good sushi restaurant. I mean, even that place is built up. It's unbelievable what is happening in Brooklyn, where in my mind, where it is always 1988, those areas were scary and sketchy. Now you walk around as if it's like like the town Archie lived in when you saw the comic books, like Riverdale. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable where I'm saying to myself, boy, I wouldn't mind living here. This is nice. It's got regular people. It's not crazy crowded. There's not horns honking. It's This is not horrible. They got a lot of good restaurants and stores. and It's hip and it's interesting and fun. And there's a lot of pretty people working there. And you, know, you can go into the places. Like there's all you know like nice girls working and everything. And It's weird. Anyway, we had a good time. And then I took the bike back. I found an electric bike. And I took it back into my house over the Queensboro Bridge because it couldn't have been easier. The Queensboro Bridge is horrible. It's like, you know, a mile uphill, you know, to go up. Obviously, all bridges to go up and you go down. So with this bike, I got home in, what was it? I, I, I sent it to them. I think, was it 21 minutes or 17 minutes? I can't remember. It was something ridiculous to go from Brooklyn to Manhattan in like 17 minutes on a bike. So this electric bike thing is fantastic, and I was so happy that I even got out of the house or whatever. And so then I'm like, well, I guess I'll have to go on Sunday. And on Sunday, again, he was performing on Sunday. I just couldn't leave the house. You know, the football started at 1, and then, you know, they had lots of games at 4, which they don't usually, and I just once again was like, can't do it. Just can't do it. Can't bring myself to leave. 
And I said to Rachel, I'm like, I'm telling you, he hasn't called. And, you know, we talked about him. I'm like, what do you think I should do? He's like, but he never got back to me. He never got back to me. But I'll tell you, I know as soon as he gets off, he's, he's going to be upset that I wasn't there. But I just couldn't bring myself to leave. And like clockwork at, let's say, 11 o'clock at night on Sunday, hey, where were you? Jeff said you were going to stop by on Saturday. What happened? Like right after the last show. Like clockwork. I called Rachel. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. You know, he texted. What happened? Then he called. He's like, oh, you missed a good time. In fact, you know, so it gets worse because then, you know, I have uh, clippings from the post uh, from yesterday. Uh, Amy Schumer, who was hospitalized in November with extreme morning sickness, was in top comedic form at Caroline's on Broadway in Times Square over the weekend. The pregnant comedian swung by the Midtown Club to take in the train wreck co-star David Tell's show and wound up joining him on stage. When Attell asked her if her and her hubby Chris Fisher had thought of a name for the baby, Schumer quipped, Yes, we haven't told anyone this yet. Do you guys like this? Hitler. It's my mother's name. When Attell asked if there's anything she's missed doing since getting pregnant, Schumer replied, I can't tie my shoes, not since I got famous. <laughs> Well, during the show, Schumer also took a shot at Attell, saying, congratulations are in order for you, my friend, for surviving the Me Too movement. Also stopping by to see Attell were Michelle Wolf, who performed a surprise set, and Roastmaster Jeff Ross. So there I am, can't leave the house, and there are goings on at the David Tell Caroline's usual Christmas between Christmas and New Year's show. So then I feel like even more of a moron for not going. But listen, I got issues. I got issues, and it's very difficult for me to leave the house, especially when it gets dark at 4.30. And I knew once it got dark, I wasn't going anywhere, let alone, please. What was that, December 30th? Let alone the feeling of going to Times Square. That's where Caroline's is. This time of the year, even though it's a day before New Year's, Trust me, you know, I was looking for the electronic bikes again. They have taken out all the bikes in that area for um, safety reasons, security reasons or whatever. So, you know, that's not a good incentive either. You know, you're quiet, you're not doing anything, you're not seeing people, and then you're going to Times Square. That's a very big transition. But, damn it, you know, upset with myself, you know. Let alone my friend Bob was there. He even asked me to, like, get a seat and sit there. You know, I just, I don't know. But that Sunday turned out to be good, I guess, in the sense because I won some money at least. So I didn't have to see my bookie this week. That's something, right? Got to look at the bright side. Anyway, so Monday, right, is New Year's. So I'm like, okay, here we go again. Now, two years ago, you remember, last year I went to Memo's Pinball Bar, which was fun. Two years ago, I, you know, I had one of the most suicidal New Year's. You know, I just was at home, never leaving, watching 90s television. That was the best part, just not wanting to see anything that was happening live, something that just not acknowledging New Year's. This is what people do when they don't want to go out or they're depressed. You don't want to see, I don't want to see footage of New Year's and everybody celebrating when I'm sitting here alone. So I decide, okay. 
I'm going to go down to the cellar. Now, I had been wanting to go down to the cellar the entire week. I just, you know, I like to make appearances there. Plus, I wanted to pick up my check. Um, and I wanted to talk about a possible another date and stuff. And it's just good to stop by, let alone between Christmas, they were doing shows down there. I just never got down there. They, Colin was in town, uh, the, who, you know, does my shows uh, musically. And he was doing some Christmas stuff at the Olive Tree. I was like, no. And I just couldn't make it down there. <sighs> So I said, okay, here's my plan for New Year's, and this is a good idea. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know I'm going to go to the West Village. I don't know who I'm going to be with, and I don't know what I'm going to do, but I am going to head to the West Village regardless. And I'm going to leave the house at 4.30 before it gets dark. So I really adhered to that. I got up. I'm like, all right, it's almost time. So I got, I, I got showered at like two or three. So I'm like, I'm doing this. I am doing this today. Now I was supposed to go out, and the the, rece- the receptionist from work. Now I was supposed to go to Caroline's with her. I was going to take her, but she kept canceling. So Sunday I would have gone with her. If I gone with somebody else, I probably would have gone to Caroline's. But she kept canceling. She said, well, "What about New Year's Eve?" I'm like, "Yeah, New Year's Eve could be cool. I don't have any plans." And you know, she's a little twenty-three year old also. That's who I hang out with. You know, I'm perverted. So I say, so anyway, I actually left the house before that. I'm like, I'll either go to the bar I like to go to by the cellar or I'll go to the cellar and I'll get a seat wherever I'm going at 430 and just sit there and maybe I'll come back at nine o'clock at night, but at least I'll have been out, which really is the most important thing. Then I could come home at 9, I could either, you know, watch the 90s thing or I could play the video games, whatever, but at least I went out, got a couple of drinks, interacted with people, very important stuff. So I left at 4.30, got on the train, was like, like not, I was like, uh, I'm this way and that way, like sad almost, not like excited and nervous because I really didn't have a plan plan. So I go to the cellar, no one's in there. And then I go to the bar and I'm like, you know what? If I go to that bar, I'm staying there forever. Let me go to the cellar anyway. Maybe I can at least pick up my check. So I go in, and Esty, who books the club, is sitting at the comics table. So I go to join her, and we start talking. And, uh, you know, the waitress I like is there, and she offers me a drink. I'm like, no, because, you know, that's how I got kicked out a couple New Year's ago or whatever from drinking. You know, Esty doesn't like when I drink. So I'm like, no, not yet, because I don't know what I'm doing. And then uh, Mateo comes in. And then uh, the manager, Val, comes in. These are all people I like and I want to spend time with. I'm like, you know what? This is shaping up nice. I'm going to have, give me a Johnny Walker Black on the Rocks. Fuck this. It's New Year's. I'm going to have a goddamn drink. I kept it away from her so she couldn't smell it or whatever. She didn't seem to say anything. We're all having a good time, having a few laughs. Then Gnome comes in, you know, the owner of the club. Then we're talking about the Louis C.K. thing, which is the new uh, problem he's having where he made fun of the Parkland students of the shooting uh, which somebody unfortunately taped. He was at Governor's in Long Island, and somebody taped his entire set and put it up on YouTube, which is completely unacceptable. But he got into more trouble because he's like, you know, look at these junior high kids. They're, you know, talking in Congress. They're supposed to be getting high. And and then he said some bad stuff, and, and it was bad. But the thing is, when you're somebody, you know, here's where the problem is with him. 
comics work out shit. So yeah, his stuff was bad, and if he was doing it uh, somewhere else or on TV, he would have it fixed. You know, like that pedophile stuff he did on Saturday Night Live. So he's just working stuff out. It's that's why it's not fair for somebody to tape it. But the problem, what he's dug himself into a hole is that, but Louis does new material all the time. So as far as the public is concerned, his stuff's supposed to be polished all the time. How can somebody who always has new material every day be working on something? So he's kind of dug himself into a hole, and then Jed Apatow tweeted, you fucking idiot. I mean, this guy might almost be over at this time, and I really thought it was going to go away, and I still will always love Louie. But he is really digging himself into a hole. And Sarah and I were talking about it the other day. Sarah Silverman and I were talking about it. He goes, she goes, well, he apologized, but he didn't do anything he said he was going to do when he apologized. So I think people are pissed. So I don't know what his deal is. I hope he still has money at least. But um, he doesn't seem to care. I can't tell. And he was booked at Governor's, and I guess people can choose to go see him or not. But now Noam is always like he doesn't know what to do. He's like, wait, should I still have him here? I don't because now it's getting worse, and I don't know. But uh, blah 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 blah. So anyway, um, everybody's coming. So well, these are all my friends, you know. Like I'm happy. I'm happy there, and I'm like I'm having a good time. I get another scotch, and then um, the receptionist from my office comes in. So I'm like, oh, okay, she's here. Let's go get a table somewhere. And I say to myself, that's where I'm going to plant myself. You know, she's not allowed to go to the comics table. I mean, please, right? How many professionals could be there? So we get a table, and she looks good. Um, And then if we're sitting at the table, everybody comes join us. You know, like, uh, you know, so Nadamin, of course, comes because I'm with a girl. And then Gary Goldman comes, and Marina comes, and Attell even comes. Well, you know, everybody comes sit down for a little bit, then they do their spots, then they leave. It's beautiful. It's perfect. It's exactly what I want. It's pouring outside. I don't even know the difference. Then all uh, then uh, Noam's uh, wife and kids come in because they're playing that night. You know, they they got the band together. They're like, Jessica, are you going to sing with us? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> do you sing? No, no, no. Not 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 professionally, no. Uh, I'm doing the uh, high anxiety. Um Hey, Doc, do you sing? No, no, not not professionally, no. What am I doing? I should be singing High Anxiety when I'm there. Anyway, so Colin's there. So I'm like, this is great. So the, the, uh, the receptionist has to leave because she's going to Florida at 6 in the morning. So I can see she's just not having fun. This is the second time we've hung out where there's been an issue for a 23-year-old having to leave. She was sick the one time. Now she's got to catch a flight. It's actually very responsible, so uh, it's okay. So I said, listen, if you want to go, it's okay. So she leaves at 1130. Uh, granted, when I got home the next morning, I'm like, you know what? If I had to catch a flight at this time, I'd be so miserable right now. So she did the right thing. Like she actually, the flight was at 6, you know, like going to Florida. So she left at 1130. And then I had my friends Andrea and her sister come by right after that. So it was perfect. I was never alone. Uh, they came by. They're really pretty. And they sat, and then we had a great time, rang in the New Year. Then I did sing. Mateo sang two songs. We were having a great time. I, I, had, I must have had five or six Johnny Walker Blacks on the rocks. I don't know why I chose that for that day. I just kept going with it. I didn't have any beer. I didn't have any water. Just drank. So I must have drank in like, you know, a good up to about a half a bottle of scotch. I was feeling good. And then I sang. I decided I was going to sing with the band. So because my voice always goes when I'm drinking, 
uh, I said, I'll do a Neil Diamond one because then my, you know, I don't have to worry about my voice. And I did Sweet Caroline. Totally picked up the crowd. Everybody was singing along. It was great. So I was smart. I got the lyrics on my phone. I wasn't stupid, you know. I, kept, I don't care. I'm looking at them. I just want to get the lyrics right. You know, it's, it's worse when you don't know the lyrics. So it was great. And, uh, you know, I was just having a good time. I was there until 3 o'clock. And then at 3 o'clock, I bring the girls to the other bar. And we have more drinks. And then the other bar closes, but they lock me in, and I leave there around like 5.30. And it was a great night. I was so happy. I, I mean, it's just like I was happy that it was over, but I was in a good mood. I was with good people. I was having a good time. Because I'm having a good time. I keep doing that line from the Warriors. What are you so happy about? I'm having a good time. Why'd you waste Cyrus, man? Anyway, uh, so then I got home like around 6 o'clock, had a can of SpaghettiOs because, <laughs> you know, I'm a child. And um, then they had the Odd Couple Marathon on. Uh, Joe Messina was kind enough to let me know that the Odd Couple Marathon was on TV 55. And that was just a perfect topper. I couldn't go to sleep. So And, and my favorite episode was on. Oh, I, someone told you to say these things. You mean to say you had help with these answers? <laughs> well, uh, who, who was it, Oscar? Felix Unger. I, I'm sorry, I, I can't hear you. I, I didn't quite Felix Unger. <laughs> hey, Felix, that's you! <laughs> I, I understand. Now, this really is quite a coincidence. But this afternoon, I was having my picture taken by Mr. Madison's roommate, Felix Unger. He's a photographer. 380 Madison Avenue, Portland, especially. <laughs> Mr. Madison's services for the show tonight, and Felix made all the arrangements. Isn't that uh, basically what happened? Oh, that's exactly what happened. Mr. Steinberg, he's so marvelous. So wonderful so and articulate. No, really, marvelous. I, I mean, I, you're marvelous, Mr. Steinberg. Mr. Steinberg, now he's fawning all over. You know, remember, this is the one that we did, you know, where Sarah played David Steinberg and everything, and then she was on the David Steinberg show. He goes, I understand you played me. She's like, you know, how did that go? Not well. So this is a classic episode that I know, backwards and forwards, and me and my friend Kevin Cash always play, Mr. Steinberg, you're so wonderful. You're so marvelous. That was like one of the lines we remembered as kids. I just can't watch it. He's ruining everything I told him. Oh, come on, Felix, give him a chance. Felix is very... Um, he's very well organized, isn't he, Oscar? You know, I, I noticed that he takes his used flash bulbs and he puts them, he puts them uh, back into the carton and he has them so neatly stacked. The same way at home, it's like living with a chipmunk. <laughs> that was good. Nervous laughter there. They smell his panickies. He was the only American soldier during World War II to receive a medal from the German army. From the German army? Yeah, he was a prisoner of war, and the Nazis voted his camp the most hygienic. My favorite line, because then of what comes up next, we've done this before. <laughs> He's going great now. Lies. I never accepted that medal. I threw it back in their faces. I mean, that is the best. See, that's the kind of comedy. And we've talked about this before on this particular podcast. That is comedy. He says a joke. 
you're like, that's ridiculous. But then it turns out Felix validifies it by saying that it's true. Lies. I never accepted that medal. I threw it back in their faces. Let that it actually happened, which is, that's good goddamn writing. It's the biggest worry ward in the world, you know. A, a chain of drugstores voted him the hypochondriac of the year. As a matter of fact, it, well, he gets very nervous. This when is hugging. David, can I, can I stand up? When he's very low. He found out he was allergic to aspirin. Up, he went around all day honking. What, what is honking? Oh, oh uh, David, can I stand up? It's all yours. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Um, then when he comes home, he's on a double date. You, you know what? He's so popular. We came out. They asked him for the autograph. Shut they up. They asked me for my autograph, too. We got in the car. They were grabbing. It was the most thrilling, the most exciting evening I've ever Shut up! <laughs> You insensitive clog! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll tell you, what a great way to, um, to you know, uh, what do you, uh, chime in the new year, uh, being, you know, just a little drunk and ready to go to bed just before I go to bed, watch this episode where Felix then is going to be on the show and hires the writer who we had Dan Natterman play uh, many years ago when he was just a child. Stick with neat jokes. Neat jokes. They like that. <laughs> Mr. Unger? Yes. And David Sam. Yes, 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 yes. Come in, come in. Thank you. Ah, and there's Mr. Uh, Madison. Uh, I'm Harvey Skolnick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gee, you're having dinner. Oh, look, That's, I don't want to take right. a no, time. No, no. You see, I don't have a lot of time. That's all right. Time for what? What is it? He's talking into a table. David was sent this young man over here. He's just going to ask you a few questions. Isn't that right? That, that's, that's right. He said he didn't want to get material. Eats with his hands. <laughs> Should wear a bib. <laughs> Likes army food. <laughs> Look at this, a man announcing my meal. <laughs> Look at his shirt. Oh, how many days have you worn that shirt? Come on, I put it on fresh this morning. Ring around the chest. Funny, funny, funny. Oh, oh, oh. voted uh, one of the best dressed men by popular mechanics. Good, good. That's good. What, 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 what's going on here? He's my writer. Your writer? Yeah, David sent him over to help me. Help you what? Get material. Look, look, look at his comb. Eight missing teeth. Maybe. If you can use it. You want to see his laundry? Oh, yeah. You know, we might get something out of that comb. Uh, like, uh, looks like the New York skyline. Good, good. It's a wonderful comb if you're Yule Brenner. Funny. That's a biggie. That's a biggie. Where's the laundry? Just follow the trail all the way up the <laughs> why are you doing this to me? To destroy you. <laughs> I do what you want. I'm telling you, I know what answers. What's the matter? I just saw his room. <laughs> on the bedpost. <laughs> Wait, come out of the kitchen. I want to show you his food. I already saw it in his bedroom. There's a uh, half a tuna sandwich. Oh, uh, that's I'm not going to do it. It's okay. I'm going to me. I have enough. That's all the charm of a dot strike. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he goes, that's a dot yeah, that was the best. We had Natterman. He gets an applause break for just doing a small scene. Oh, my God. That made me so happy. It really did. And then uh, it just that that episode is so funny and so weird, and you couldn't explain it to other people. Like it's, it's just uh, uh, then, of course, um, you know the big song at the end. Um, do they have it? For commercial, but we'll be back with. Felix, what's the matter with you? No, they don't. Who's the little orphan Albert Lux? Who can it be? It's little orphan. How do you do, everybody? How do you do? How do you do, everybody? How do you do? Um, he's doing the old radio songs. That's the other thing, too. You'd be like, oh, you're a fan of old radio tunes. I mean, I can't imagine showing this to my niece and being like, what? 
What's happening? I don't understand what's happening here. Oh, but that made my uh, that made my day, and so that was a great way to. And then I was, you know, I was happy. I went to bed like at eight o'clock in the morning. Woke up. I was cranky. Watched some football. New Year's Day. I just couldn't wait to get back to work. <laughs> I ain't had enough being at home. So that's my story, pretty much. I, uh, yeah, yeah. So let's. So, why am I doing the podcast on a Saturday morning when I usually do it during the week? Why would I get up early to be doing stuff to do the podcast? I mean, like, what you know, why? What's happening? Like, why not do it? Well, first, of course, there's going to be football this afternoon. Um, But what am I doing? The reason is I wanted to wait to do the podcast, now that we're uh, an hour in, to until I saw... Clueless, the musical. Yes, folks, I saw Clueless, the musical. I got tickets through Amy Heckerman. Clueless, the musical, is completely sold out for its entire run, which I was shocked. When I got to the theater, I see why. It, it you know feels like 50 people. It's off-Broadway and 42nd Street. So, you know, now I know why, but... I was like, hey, good luck. I see it's all sold out. She goes, oh, I can get you tickets. Call my assistant. I mean, I had to pay for them, but that's the way Broadway works. Uh, if you get a house seat, you still got to pay. There are no freebies in Broadway. But still, I was thrilled. Obviously, I was dying to see it. So then there was the big controversy because I knew I was going January 3rd, and I wanted to take my niece, Liza, not Dory. Because I said, you know, I take Dory to a lot of stuff, and maybe I'll meet, you know, Amy Hank, maybe I'll meet the cast. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm, I don't want to take Dory this time. I want to take Liza. I got to mix it. It's not fair that I always take Dory. Liza's home from college. Let me take her to something. My sister said, no. I'm like, what? What do you mean no? She's like, that's her favorite movie, clues, Dory's. And I'm like, it is? I didn't know that. I know she likes The Princess Bride. We know she likes Harry Potter and Peter Pan. I didn't know Clueless was on that list. No, Dory will be devastated if you don't. I'm like, well, too bad. You you know, you got three kids. I'm trying to mix it up with all of them. I want to take Liza. She's like, no, you either take Dory or you you don't take anybody. Or you can take me. And then I'm like, ah. But Beth couldn't go anyway because uh, she had one of those auditions for one of those stupid, horrible plays. Anyway, so I'm just like really angry. I don't want to take Dory. And it has nothing to do with Dory. But I'm like, if we're taking Dory because she's like a retard, then I'll, obviously I'll take her to the zoo. <laughs> no, but it's just like, you know, we do all this stuff for Dory because she doesn't, you know, doesn't have any friends and we're like, we treat her like a, like we would, uh, like a retard in the 70s, but a special needs kid. And I'm like, you know, we have, to, she's a 21-year-old kid. I'm, I'm going to, I want to take Liza. I want to do something for and with Liza. This has nothing to do with Dory. It's it's not a diss on Dory. I mean, obviously, if it's Harry Potter, Peter Pan, or something like that, or friends related, I'm going to take Dory. But this is something different. I didn't know Clues was her favorite movie. I don't even think it is. So when I said to Liza in the car, I really want to take you, she goes, oh, my God, I love that movie. That's like my favorite movie. So I didn't know that she was so into it, dude. So she was thrilled. But then um, I said, well, talk to your mother about it. And then she called me. She goes, Mommy says you have to take Dory. And I'm like, oh, my God. So anyway, I worked it all out where I could take Liza. 
because I was just not I was if I wasn't taking Liza, I was not taking anybody. So I worked it out. So Liza and I were going to go, and I said, "Okay, just be you know I do you, right. You don't know how to get into the city, but take the train. I'll meet you at the train." Which of course is ridiculous because she's like nineteen, shouldn't be a problem. But she doesn't know her way around the city, and she doesn't like the city, which I totally get. So now I'm like, eh, maybe I shouldn't have taken her because now I got to pick her up at the train station. I got to walk her back to the train station where Dory like meet me at my office at least now, you know. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> but that's all right. It'll be worth it. Uh, but then as the show on Thursday, as the show got closer and closer, I could tell she was having trouble. I could tell she was panicked about coming into the city, dying to see the show, but just was panicked about taking the train by herself, all that kind of stuff that is normal for some people and just not for others, which I completely understand. Plus, she went to her friends that day upstate, her roommate from college. I'm like, you know, lies. And I and offered, I said, I'll put you in a car service back. Would you be okay in a car by yourself? She goes, I do it all the time with Ubers. I'm like, so I'll put you in a car service back. But I could tell she was just panicked. And I said, you know what, forget it. Forget it. Don't worry about it. No hard feelings. Just forget it. And I could tell she was relieved. Uh, so she, my sister's like, you're still going to take Dory? I'm like, no, I just, I already asked my friend Caitlin at the office. It's just easier. Because then if I take Caitlin at the office, she's a joy. I took her to see King Kong. And then we can go out and have something to eat after and we'll have a better time. It's easier for me on all ends. It's more fun for me because with Liza, we wouldn't be able to eat anything because you go, I got to get home, I got to catch the train. Uh, you know, which makes me angry because somebody's got to pick her up at the stupid train station. Didn't think about that ahead of time. And yeah, I'm selfish. When I go out to the theater, you know I want to see, I want to have dinner after. That's my favorite thing to do. Talk about the show, talk about whatever. So I had a great time with Caitlin Carmichael. Now, the show, now we are going to have Amy on this podcast. So I get there and I see her. She's there. I introduce myself and she's nothing but lovely and delightful and I say thank you and and we're sitting right in front of the director of the musical. Um, uh, what's her name? Her name is uh, Kristen Hange. Hange, I don't know. Very nice. Uh, the only thing she directed or the other thing she directed was Rock of Ages. Interesting when I tell you about this. So the show, i got to word this the right way. I don't want any trouble. You know, Amy's coming in here and we're going to have a conversation. The show is interesting. Now, you know, it's a work in progress. So that's something. Now, also remember, as in with Pretty Woman, when you do a show about a movie that I, I at least know backwards and forwards, if nobody's seen the movie, you might totally just be like, this is the greatest show ever. It's like when you see a movie that you've already read the book. You're comparing. And there's just no way out of it. And that is the flaw into when you are making a musical out of a movie that you know backwards and forwards, or at least somebody like me. So like with Pretty Woman, the iconic scene with the jewelry case opening and her laughing and getting her hand slapped in there, which, you know, in retrospect, isn't really that funny. But it's an iconic scene. It's an iconic motion picture history, historical scene. And... Obviously, that scene has to be in the play, as we've already spoken about Pretty Woman, the musical. Uh, but it, it, in the musical, it doesn't fit. Uh, the, it doesn't fit in the way they did the musical. 
but you can't do that musical and not have that scene in it. And therein lies the problem with doing these movies that people know so well uh, and you are maybe taking it a different direction in the play and then you still have to add in certain scenes. Like, is it necessary to add the driving scene where they're on the highway and clueless in a play? They were, they were in the car a lot in this play. Um, you know, I think that's not necessary. Uh, I think maybe, maybe, and, and remember, she's working on this as she's, you know, she's Amy Heckerling, she's, she wrote it and she's working on it every day and, she, you know, she'll figure it out. Maybe that's something we can even discuss on the podcast. I don't want to, you know, insult her or anything. But uh, so here's what they did in this musical, which is very interesting. And I can't decide whether I like it or don't like it. Now, I'll just give you a little preview. This is the trailer. First of all, let me just tell you that this Dove Cameron is very pretty, and the whole time she's wearing short skirts all the time. So that's terrific. I'm a perverted man, obviously. uh, So that's going to work for me on every level. Um, (laughs) And she looks really good. Um, You know, everybody's not the best singer I've ever heard in my life. I I think you could cast it better, and that's one of her great things that she does normally in movies, Fast Times, and Clueless. But um, the guy who played Travis was actually a showstopper. But I'm going to play this uh, little trailer, which doesn't really have that much stuff, but then you'll understand. Oh, yeah, it opens with her coming around in this chair and just looking terrific. Yeah, all right. So the the trailer is, you know, you should see it. It's on YouTube. Um, and it's just, the, you know, we just played the music, right? So you can't see what's happening. But the point I was trying to make is that, as you can see, besides, it, it, well, maybe you can't tell from that because I don't think that song's from the 90s. But what they did was use all 90s songs and change the lyrics, I've never seen that before. These jukebox musicals is what they're called. Like when they have uh, the thing with the Go-Go's musical or the Billy Joel musical, they just take songs that already exist and put it into a musical. Or that's what Rock of Ages, this director, that's what that was. It was all 80 songs. So it's interesting that they took this and made it very 90s. It takes place in the 90s. They didn't make it present day. It takes place in the 90s, and they used all 90 songs that we know and change the lyrics to relate to the play. I don't know how expensive that is. I don't know how they do in that, whatever, and I don't know who thought of it. But it's an interesting way to really just get something done pretty quickly, too, with, you know, without any muss or fuss. You're just writing the lyrics. 
Uh, but the funny thing is, in seeing it, I remember how much I hate 90s music. So that's problematic for me. Now, when they do the Kids in America at the end, I think that's from the 80s, but they just sing that song regularly, and that's how they end it. So that's why I was playing that. But at the beginning, with the It's a Wonderful Life, I think that is from the 80s, of the 90s. And it opens, and they have other ones too. Uh, for instance, uh, this one. Sorry about that. Why do I always find ways to criticize her? That's the Paul Rudd character. must think I'm such a jerk. I shouldn't even bother. Yeah. So that's uh, an example of something they do. You know, they're doing this that song, She's So High, which I always, actually, that's a song I do like, and they just changed the lyrics. But I think they chose, I don't like the song choices. Uh, for me, I, I think I would have chosen a couple of different songs. Uh, one they did choose was uh, that, you know, the Crash Test Dummies one. That's the kind of the showstopper with Travis. You know, so that's pretty funny. But otherwise, uh, I don't know. You know, I don't. Uh, interesting the way they did it. I just I think I would have liked different 90s song choices. But that's my thing because I think I hate all music from the 90s. You know, I'm an 80s guy, and quite frankly, that's, you know, pressing on me now. That none of that music holds up. It's just hilarious. But I never liked any 90s songs. I didn't like the 90s. I didn't care for a lot of the music. There's some good stuff, but mostly it was just sad and depressing. And, and what, did, what did they even say in the, in the she wrote in the movie? Uh, oh, God, that complaint rock from uh, Rears Its Ugly Head I think Cher even says that uh, about Josh when he's listening to, you know, and I remember uh, they do have the line from Elton saying like, hey, I, for, I forgot my cranberry CD in the locker and uh, I left it loud at that one, which was a smart move since I was sitting in front of the director. But it's it's it's, it's a fun musical. Uh, you know, they're working on it. It's a work in progress and hopefully, uh, and I do believe Amy will be coming in as at the, the run uh, is over January 19th, so... Uh, by February, we should have her on. We could talk more about that and more about her uh, greatness and her legendary career. You know what I was thinking the other day, you know, when I was thinking of talking to her? Think about this. With Fast Times at Ridgemont High, think about, you know, her casting choices in these two movies in particular, especially Fast Times, is legendarily epic. Do you know, and I haven't done the research, this is off the top of my head, there are three Oscar winners in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and one of them has won multiple times. Can you guess who they are? Um, we are talking about Forrest Whitaker. We are talking about Sean Penn, who's won twice. And we are talking about Nicolas Cage. I believe Jennifer Jason Lee had been nominated never won uh so that's off the top of my head i can't even try to think of the other uh, people that were in it but uh you know wow 
three Oscar-winning best actor. I'm not even talking about supporting actor out of that movie. And that's just the three of the Oscar winners. We know where we know what everybody did after. And in Clueless, uh, mostly everybody is working. Mostly everybody we still see. So her casting choices are quite remarkable. Um, She was always good at that. But these are the things we'll be discussing with the great, legendary Amy Heckerling when she comes here uh, to the uh, the Nightfly Studios in February of 2019. And I'll invite her to the Oscar show. Maybe I'll have her come on stage and give her an honorary Oscar that should have won for Clueless. Oh, so yeah, that's the thing. What am I going to do for that show? I don't know. I'll come up with something, right? I, I told Mateo, I'm like, and we're going to have Liza host it, you know. <laughs> Kevin Hart, maybe I'll, I'll have him start the show. Since Kevin Hart couldn't make it today, we have Liza Minnette. We were lucky enough to get Liza Minnette. Hello, everybody. <laughs> it's, listen, I don't care if people are sick of it or whatever they are. <laughs> Works every time for me. Um, obviously, a couple other things I want to talk about before we get to the news. I got a new cleaning lady. My uh, cleaning lady I've had for 17 years retired or whatever, moved. So I found this other one in the building. It was kind of cute, but uh, but she charges $100. My old one was charging 70 and she doesn't do that great a job. When I come home, it doesn't look clean. It smells clean, doesn't look clean, but she's just getting started. But somebody has a Japanese one who's cheaper, so I, I don't know what I'm doing, and it's bothering me that I have to pay $100 for her, but she does do the laundry, and that is a big deal, folks. Also, uh, on Thursday, I paid all my debts. Not so much the gambling debts, but I tried to pay everybody. I paid everybody from the football pool. As you know, I used to take money out from that all the time. So I paid everybody off. And then I started paying all the people I have to pay for borrowing. And I paid all my bills. So that was a good day. Even though it's a depressing day, I don't even know want to know what I have in the bank account now. But... I took care of business. Also, I'm starting to get in uh, some of the Oscar-nominated movies, which are good. I got two that I'm like, ugh, not interested. One, Glenn Close, called The Wife. I'm like, are you kidding? But, you know, all the ones I got for the SAG nominees that I was, you know, for the television stuff, you know, they package it. I don't know what they told you before. They package it so nicely, and it must be so costly that I really wish they would take all the money they did for these amazing DVD packages, which nobody uses. If people were still using DVDs, I'd say, okay. But when you're packaging, you know, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel in this beautiful packaging to try and get people to nominate it on DVD, I would appreciate if you would use that money and give it to a good tragedy, a good charity of people that need food or shelter. Really, that's the way I'm feeling this is a complete waste of Hollywood money. Make the packaging, but it's on goddamn Amazon Prime. Nobody's watching DVDs anymore. And if you're telling me that they are, then the consensus of people that we already know from last year's Oscars thing with the black issue is that everyone's old. 
and that's that old. I'm saying they must be in their 80s if they're still using DVDs. My mother doesn't even watch DVDs anymore. So please, Hollywood folk, take your stupid money and start contributing to people where it needs to be. I'm not a big charity person because I don't have a lot of money. But for Christ's sakes, you are wasting a lot of fucking money. Why don't you give that money to the SEC so they don't have to shut down? Huh? Jesus Christ, with the money they spend on packaging these DVDs, they could probably make another movie. Uh, anyway, uh, also, I just wrote this down. I think you'll like this, and I need to tell uh, Rachel and Sarah because they enjoy these kind of stories. I, a story I'd forgotten about an old girlfriend. Um, I was just with my doorman downstairs before. Oh, remember, I had to pay those guys. I paid all of them. Paid my parking garage. Oi. Sorry, it just got overwhelming. I was thinking about how much money there is to pay people. Um, how does anyone survive? Anyway, uh, so I was downstairs and I saw there's a horrible lady in the building who I hate so much. And I saw this other lady in the building screaming at her on Thursday morning. It was great. It was great. And I tweeted out, I texted her and I'm just like, good for you. That lady's up fucking asshole i mean she is an asshole this horrible she's 80 but a horrible human being ugly on the outside and the inside uh treats the door guys like crap yells at just horrible and i you, i don't feel bad for her at all i really just wish she would either die or leave the building because she's really a horrible person and uh this other tenant was screaming out of the other day this lady's crazy too but they're screaming at each other's great so i was talking to the doorman he goes well, you know, I don't get involved in that kind of stuff. You know, I got away from the camera. I never get involved in the tennis stuff. You know, like what happened to you when you were screaming at that, you know, that other tenant. I'm like, what? When did I do that? He goes, remember that girl and she drank from your milk carton and you were furious at her? And I'm like, <laughs> then it, I remember it. And I'm like, oh, wait, that doesn't count. I was sleeping with her. That's That's a normal fight. You know, and he's like, she just drank from the milk carton. And you say, you never want to see her again. I'm like, well, you know, hello. Why I'm not married. <laughs> she drank directly from the milk carton. And I got so angry. I never saw her again. <laughs> I, just, I totally forgot about that. And she was gorgeous and hot and French. And I was just so angry. And then she told everybody in the building, he broke up with me because I drank directly from the milk carton. <laughs> I totally forgot about that, and uh, yeah, but but yeah. So the guys in the building, they're like, "Why hasn't Dave just got married?" Well, there's your answer. If you're gonna break up with somebody because they you don't like the way they drink from the milk carton, Seinfeld would do it. <laughs> it's the exact same thing of using somebody else's toothbrush. Uh, meanwhile, you know you're sleeping with them anyway. You're kissing them, and yet I don't I don't want anybody drinking from the milk carton. I don't like that. I don't like when I see it in the movies. And I don't like when it happens in real life. You put it into a glass. I don't drink from the milk carton. I put it into a glass and I drink it at home and I live alone. Come on. <laughs> I've forgotten about how funny that is. <sighs> you know what I'm talking about. Jerry Marty Funkhouse. Hey, Marty. How you doing? How you doing? Good. Want to hear a joke? Oh, he, no, he doesn't want to really. hear a joke. We have a read through. Yeah, we got. Let me just get right through it. Okay. A woman's very afraid of the size of her opening. What is she afraid of? The size of her opening. So she goes to her mother. She says, "What am I going to do? I'm so big down there. When I marry Harry, he's going to divorce me." 
Her mother says, don't worry, sweetheart. It runs in the family. Do what I did when I married your father. Go to the market, get some raw liver, put it in there, and never know the difference. Oh, my God. So she does. They have eight hours of sex after their marriage. She wakes up at 10 o'clock. He's gone, but there's a note on her pillow. It says, my darling Harriet, to think that I waited a year to consummate our love relationship makes my heart beat so loudly. I'm surprised it didn't wake you up. The only reason I'm not here now, darling, is I'm at work to make enough money to buy you a house, a picket fence, we'll have dogs and children. Ah, this is not so bad. Oh, yeah, this is great. Will you finish the fucking joke already? When the 5 o'clock dinner bell rings, I will be home like the winged gossamer of your love in your arms, your loving husband, Ah, Harry. That's nice. P.S. Your cunt is in the sink. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you told your joke. Let's go. How good is that? It surprised me. It surprised me. I had no idea it would be that revolting. Ladies and gentlemen, please hold the work. Let's take our places for the table read. Okay, let's sit at the table. Go sit in the bleachers. Great meeting you. Yeah, nice meeting you too. Big fan. Thank you. Thank you. I like that guy. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, he's dead. Marty Funkhauser, uh, Bob Einstein, passed away a couple days ago. Major, major loss for Curb Your Enthusiasm. How funny is that scene? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can tell you a joke. Um, and, you know, he, uh, you know, he's kind of a legend in comedy. Uh, great on that show, obviously. Albert Brooks's brother. Sarah Silverman was telling me that those the brothers never spoke. And I can't find out why. I've been trying to look it up. They had a, they didn't have a good relationship. Haven't spoken in years. Don't know why. But he's dead. And remember, uh, I probably told you at one of Sarah's parties when I would get up there early before she would make her, uh, you know, her entrance. You know, I would talk to Stephen Tobolowski for a long time. But then one year I just talked to Bob Einstein for about a half hour. And he was that funny in person and that awesome and friendly and nice. And it was exciting and uh, died of leukemia, I believe. Very sad He's brilliant on Curb. Now, I know they started filming Curb in October, so I don't know whether it affects this new season or not. I know it does take them quite a long time to film, so I don't know how it affects the show. But uh, major bummer, a horrible uh, way to start off the new year, death-wise. You know, he used to... He was... He used to write for the Smothers Brothers and, you know, he was like just known as like, you know, a a good writer and, you know, then became kind of like Larry in a way. I think that's why they were friends. You know, Larry was known as a writer. So I think they knew each other as writers first and then, um, you know, became their own their own people where people knew them more as I mean, it's it's amazing that Larry David is just as famous as Jerry Seinfeld at this point um, because Larry was just a writer. So it's like kind of like that. I mean, to be Albert Brooks is so famous, and then it turns out his brother, well, in our world at least, was just as famous. We you know know him from that, and his voice is funny, and and that's funny if you watch that clip with him telling Jerry that joke. And I remember that episode. You know, that's when they were doing the Seinfeld read. <laughs> it's just I can tell you a joke. I mean, it's the whole thing is funny, and then he tells a a gross, the grossest joke ever, which maybe he even wrote himself to Jerry Seinfeld. You know, so that's what's better than that entire scene. Uh, you know, again, you have the multi level of how funny it is 
where you can't even laugh hard enough because you have to concentrate on the multiplicity of the levels of that scene. Number one, how funny Funkhauser is anyway, and he has no, and he shouldn't be talking to Jerry Seinfeld, but his friend Larry David invited him to read. Number two, he's holding a huge plate of food from the buffet. Number three, he's telling Jerry Seinfeld a joke. Number four, he's telling the dirtiest joke that anyone's ever heard, like ever. And, and number five, he goes through with the joke. And he's like, finish the fucking joke. And then he thinks he's just going to go sit at the table for the table read. There's so many levels of geniusness in it. And uh, it's too bad, really too bad. What a uh, what a nice a nice man. Uh, I think he you know besides his brother, I think he was kind of uh, beloved in comedy. Uh, oh, and uh, David Steinberg, because you know remember he directs a lot of the Larry David stuff. The guy who uh, made my New Year's. Felix Felix is a very interesting person, isn't he? Oscar, why don't you come on my show? Why don't you come on tonight, Felix? Uh, he wrote, what a mind, what a great friend, brilliantly funny always. We started together on the Smothers Brothers. Oh, there you go. Loved every moment working with him on Curb. He was one of a kind, great loss to the comedy world. We will all miss him so. That's David Steinberg saying that. Our, my also good friend, <laughs> you know, because when he's in my neighborhood, because his wife's uh, father lives here, I go, but David, but John, why would Peter Pan not like me? Uh, just a couple of news articles to uh, finish our uh, first uh, first uh, podcast back. I was so angry that I hope that the levels of the thing, I know they're peaking when I talk a little louder, so we'll work on that, but I, I was so angry to leave a two-week gap, which we've never done before, uh, but, you know, our podcast comes out on Tuesdays, and it just so happened this year, Christmas and New Year's were on Tuesdays, um, that it was the sound quality was so bad. It made me furious, but whatever. Uh, so ShopRite, you know, ShopRite always had those commercials. Now, ShopRite's got the can-can, you know, because they have good can-can spe- specials on cans, on canned goods. Uh, the Me Too movement has now affected them, and they can no longer use the can-can girls. I look at that as where things have gotten completely out of goddamn hand. We are heading into between that and Louie. In fact, there's an article, PC Skulls and Shock Comics are Killing Comedy. It's an opinion, but uh, yeah, that American comedy is slowly dying under assault. This is from the Post. Under assault from two opposing forces, from without, PC scolds seek to silence comics whose edgy material makes them feel unsafe. And from within, a growing number of comedians have come to see offensiveness as an end in itself more important than being funny. And, of course, they immediately cite Louis C.K. Uh, because they're talking about the clip of C.K.'s recent act surface online. The footage shows the comics going after some sensitive real-world targets. He pokes fun at the young and identity-obsessed. They're like royalty equips. They tell you what to call them. Then CK mocks the teenage survivors of last year's massacre. Uh, here, here's what he said. They testify in front of Congress, these these kids. What are they doing, he says. Because, 
you went to high school where kids got shot. Why does that mean I have to listen to you? He ties up the bit as follows. You didn't get shot. You pushed some fat kid in the way, and now I've got to listen to you talking? I mean, that is pretty bad. I mean, that's pretty bad. Uh, yeah, so then they say, but now social media has their way uh, uh, public vigilante campaigns to find and punish targeted individuals. I hope, <laughs> I hope Louis C.K. gets raped and shot at, tweeted the actress Ellen Barkin. Judd Apatow, this happened on New Year's Eve. This is what Gnome was telling me. Judd Apatow broke the code of comics calling CK hacky and saying that he was all fear and bitterness now. So all this shit is truly killing comedy. And uh, we are real sensitive. And some sooner or later, oy, you know. Got it's got to it's got to end somewhere. I don't know where we got to keep going back to be able to just say something that's taking a chance. I mean, you know, Attellis definitely had to change his act a little bit. He's smart, so he's able to figure it out. But oh, he's uh, I guess you can blame millennials. I mean, you don't want to sound like an old man, but I mean, they suck. They really are pussies. And you know, I've you know, I meet them all the time, and they're just so upset about everything it's it's horrible you can't get anything done um always wanted to talk about flu shots people get them elevated level as, as you know the flu is clobbering new york city this season it's only just begun flu activity elevated people get flu shots people love flu shots i never get a flu shot i don't get the flu i don't believe in flu shots I was talking to my friend Katie. Her son had a seizure or something. He had gotten the flu shot. I don't trust flu shots. Now, I do believe with all my heart, many people can go their lives, you get a flu shot, nothing happens. But I believe that flu shot not only causes you to, if you do end up getting the flu, you get the worst case of the flu. And number two, I don't think they got it down to a science. I think it causes other problems. I I don't believe in the flu shot. This isn't like I don't believe in science. I just think you got to take your chances with the flu. It's not like polio getting a polio vaccine or it's not like getting a If you got to get something every year and they are looking at different strains, I don't know. It's all weird. There are certain things of course you got to get shots for. But I don't believe I don't know. I think you you take your chances with the flu. You either catch it or you don't. And I think this causes a lot of people to get a bad case of the flu if you indeed get it once you get the shot because it, you know, there's different kinds of flus. I don't, I don't like when people get them. They give them out in our office, and I don't like them. And again, if you see this one sixty minutes interview, you'll never get a flu shot again. Uh, I don't want to talk about it even because it's just so fucked up. But yeah. People are crazy when it comes to flu shots. They like getting them, but I don't think it's the way to go. Uh, I think, you know, with the flu, you're, you know, it's like trying to beat the common cold, and you can't do it. It's very rare when I get sick, but when I do, it's pretty bad. But, uh, you know, I never, like, vomit from sickness or anything, but I understand how miserable it must be, but I don't know. I never get the flu. I never get sick. It's very rare. Certainly, I do get sick sometimes, and when I get sick, it, it lasts for a while, but. I just don't believe in the flu shot. I don't like it. The only times I get sick is when I wear myself down, like on a night on New Year's when I stay out all night. 
that seems to do it when your immune system's down, you end up catching something. But uh, other than that, I'm in pretty good shape. But here's the best thing, and I saved this for two weeks, uh, an article on the rise in U.S. net girth. The average American is heavier now <laughs> than at the start of the 21st century and very close to being obese. According to Centers for Disease Control and Prevention data, the average American man is five foot nine and weighs 198 pounds. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I am an average American man. They just described me perfectly. They might as well have Dave said, uh, they might as well have just said, Dave Juskow is about five foot nine and weighs 198 pounds. A little over five nine, of course, but uh, I weigh 198 pounds, and I usually weigh 190. But I have been going on a tear between Thanksgiving and New Year's, and I'm going to try and not do that anymore. But it's difficult, and I weighed myself recently. I did hit the 200 mark. It's the second time in my life I've hit the 200 mark. But look at me. I'm an average American man. Hey, listen, I'm an average American man that loves the movie Clueless and football. What does that say? (laughs) I don't know if that makes me average, uh, but look at me. The average woman is 5'4 and 171 pounds. You know what I'm talking about. That compares with 189 pounds for boys at the start of the century which is exactly what I was. So I'm getting fatter by the minute. Considered overweight for those of average height are men between 169 and 202. I still don't understand how overweight is 169. That's insane. I mean, I'm just trying to get to 180. 180, I feel, would be a good weight for me. 169, are you even a man? You know what I mean? It's not even a man. Come on. A perfect weight for me would be about 180, 183. Uh, I've been one, I've been teetering between 188 and 192 for most of my adult life, uh, or at least after 40. So getting down to 180 would really be something else, you know. But I am going to start exercising again. But I am not doing it today. I am not one of the... It's too obvious to just start going to SoulCycle and all these places on January 2nd. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait till after the Super Bowl and say, all right, let's get this started. <laughs> Maybe before then. But it's too obvious to go on January 2nd. People, please. Anyway, I guess that's uh, our show for today. Uh, we... Uh, Went a long time. I, I, I don't have any schedule. Remember how in like uh, October I had a full schedule of everything? I, I haven't been doing anything. You know, I got this office and I've been actually concentrating on actual work stuff. And I really haven't been concentrating. Now that I'm in the office, I'm going to get acclimated, going to start doing stuff, putting stuff together because I'll have some uh, space to do it in, uh, you know, and then some some concentrating and and we'll get down to, to business on the podcast. But for now, I don't have anything scheduled besides Amy Heckerling, which is a pretty good thing to schedule. Uh, but I don't have any, like, uh, 
uh, guests planned yet or anything. But I will tell you this, though. Since we've been having a good time at the cellar, I think uh, I'd like to do at least once every other month, uh, you know, maybe a show that I think those roundtable things were kind of fun. And, uh, you know, and, and it's a good place to go. Uh, you know, I like doing the podcast on Wednesdays anyway, so it's perfect, but it's also a good place to bring people that might not be comfortable coming to uh, my studio, uh, but my apartment, to uh, be in the podcast. Now, I think Amy's going to come to my apartment because uh, because of Harold Ramis' daughter. She's like, no, it's okay. He's a nice guy. So we have that. You know, I, I don't think she would come if, well, who knows? I don't know. She seems like a pretty, she's a pretty down girl. You hip to the heavy clam bakes this weekend from Clueless. Um, so I don't know. I've also been talking about getting uh, Gilbert Godfrey back in the podcast, not with Dave, but maybe with Frank Santa Padre. Uh, but they could come over, or we could have them down at the cellar. Actually, so uh, that's something I will definitely think about this year. I think I will do more shows from there because uh, uh, they let me, and they like me, and I like being there, and I like being part of the cellar. Obviously, and uh, it's a big deal. And I'll tell you. You know, when I turned 50 and I was writing that book, like, you know, my final year because I was so depressed, uh, you know, the book ends with me going to the cellar and being like, well, you know, at least I got these friends. Because remember, when I go to the cellar, there are people that are 50 who are not married and don't have kids. There are peers there that are not married and have, you know what I'm saying? It's like it's, I can feel, they're just as miserable as I am, but they're hilarious. So it's a perfect thing for me to do and 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 thank god that's there because i really just don't know what i would do without it and uh i'll tell you i don't know what the future holds for me i i you know i do still have hopes of getting married and having children but uh they are fading quickly and can you blame me but uh i i do still have hope in that direction i don't know so but what are you gonna do if you don't like somebody that drinks out of the milk thing and you can't tell them politely, I'd appreciate if you wouldn't do that and you're just going to have an argument with them in the lobby of the building, I don't think you're ready for marriage. Of course, that was 15 years ago, but I'm just saying, these are the kind of things I'm talking about. Well, I have to find a new end theme. I don't know. I mean, I like this one, but, uh, you know, it's not the greatest uh, ending, but it's an ending nonetheless. And... Uh, I, I still like the opening. You know, I was thinking, I'm like, well, should I start 2019 with a different opening thing? But I like that NXS song. I enjoy opening with that one for now until we don't feel like opening with it anymore, like we used to with the Cars movie, so uh, the Cars song. And um, I don't know. I'm always going to like this one. It reminds me of uh, good times, which it really doesn't because I think when I think about my past, I, I, I'm just miserable. But anyway. I had a really good time today. I hope everybody had a lovely New Year's, and I hope 2019 is going to be the year of the Just Go. Yeah, that's right. I'm a little selfish about it because my life has been a bag of shit for a long time, and I'm going to turn it around. You'll see. 2019 is going to be my year. I know I say that every year in the podcast, but maybe this year will be different. Last year wasn't horrid, right? But we had a lot of good podcasts and a lot of good times, so maybe that's the point. And this podcast does help me get through a lot of stuff. So anyway, I'll see you next week. Uh, as I uh, prepare for, you know, my trip to Orlando. And as you know, I do not like to travel. But uh, hope everybody had a, uh, has a great week. And I'll see you next time on the Nightfly.